0: Um, our title this morning is A Tale of Two Perspectives. We are continuing with our series on the life of David and looking at lessons from his life that we can learn and apply in our lives as well. And uh, we, the, the, the sense this morning is just really understanding the perspective that David brought to bear um, in the life as, as, as he was living it and the perspective that he had in the events of his life. Now, you can't have a wedding without a few party games, so we're going to kick off with a little bit of a game, and we'll see if this works. So I've got some everyday objects, or everyday uh, relatively familiar things that you might see from time to time, and we're going to see them from a different perspective, and the game, of course, is if you can guess what they are. Now I'd like to be able to tell you that there was prizes, but there are no prizes, so it's just for glory, okay, just for the glory of guessing. So let's have the first one up here. Uh, maybe, could we dim the lights? Because I don't know if people will be able to, to see this. Is that very good, thank you. What does this look like? A carpet, a carpet mat? That's a good guess, actually. I like that. Sweet corn. Sweet cor- sweet corn. <laughs> I don't know what Caroline does to sweet corn in your house, but no, I, I don't have black sweet corn. It's oh. it's Snake Snakeskin. <laughs> Who said, sorry, what have we got? I heard someone say it. A fly's eye. A fly's eye, yeah, but I think Rosie gets the credit, Doug, so don't try and swipe it there. There you go. So that was actually the eye of a fly, shown very, very close up under a microscope, so well done. Uh, what's next? A human brain, someone said, I think, or a brain. Uh, no. A rock, we've got. A pizza. Someone say a pizza. A peach. Oh, I see. Uh, a peach stone. That's getting very close, actually. It's a walnut. So that was, good. That was a good guess. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got that. Most people guess a brain, apparently, for that one. That's a walnut. And uh, our last one. By the way, we've had two answers from this side of the room. So I'm kind of looking over here. The pressure's on. It is sand. Yes, there you go. That's incredible. That's, let's go back to that. Because that, I... Yeah. Under a microscope, you can, you can zoom in and, you know, there's blue bits in there. Who knew? That's amazing. So hopefully the point of that is to, is to show that perspective makes a big difference um, to, to the things we face in life. Um, if you're not looking at the full picture, you could get confused quite easily, right? We could look at that picture all day and kind of go, well, what is that? I don't understand. But you know, in life, if we're not looking at the full picture of what's going on, sometimes you won't actually see the, really what's going on, and you just get confused. You won't find your way forward in, in the way that you need to. And you know, when we face issues and obstacles and challenges in life, if all we can focus on is the thing that's in front of us, then we're not going to find a way to overcome it. And the thing that is remarkable about the life of David, and we see this time and time again um, in the Bible and in his life, is how he was able to have a different perspective in the issues and the challenges that he faced. Um, last week we heard some of the story about his fight with Goliath and the perspective that he brought to bear in that situation. And this morning we're going to look at another occasion in his life where he showed a remarkable sense of perspective about the challenges that he was faced with. Um, it's a few years on, at the time of David versus Goliath, maybe the most famous story. He was just a young boy, maybe sort of 16, um, just really sort of raising into, into being a man. Um, but, but now at this point in his life, the story we're going to look at today, he's a, he's a man... Uh, in his prime, if you like, he's in exile from his homeland, and he's living uh, in, in amongst the Philistines, amongst the enemies, the natural enemies of his people. Um, he's been there for over a year um, in a town or a mountain fortress uh, called Ziklag, and uh, he's leading this small army, who are somewhere between sort of bandits and, and marauders and outlaws or something. And uh, you know, we we can read some of their backstory. They're a bunch of. <laughs> Um, or roughneck cowboys, lovable rogues, something like that you know, they're not kind of well bought up, clean behind the ears kind of guys they're like the, the guys who've been exiled from their own country as well for being in debt or for getting into problems in, in their homeland so he's leading this bunch of bandits basically um, and, uh, and at this point in the story he's just been away to a gathering of the local warlords 40 miles or so away from where he was, about three days journey And so he's had several days of journeying to get there, and then several days of journeying to get back. And then the story picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And uh, we should have it coming up. So there we go. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burnt it with fire. They had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. Their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Abimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So the Bible goes on with the rest of the story. David uh, goes charging off after after the Amalekites. He catches up with them. He fights them. He wins. He rescues all of the families, um, all of the possessions, all of the livestock, all of the cattle, everything that had been carried off. He brought it back safely to Ziklag after that point. But where we are right now in this story, David has this, horrible experience. He's been away from home, journeying away, uh, and he comes back to find that all is not as it should be. Karis was telling me um, on the plane on, on the way back from America recently, there was a, a movie, the in-flight movie, was a film called The Bling Ring, which I have never heard of, and I, I know what a name. Um, some of you guys might have, have heard of The Bling Ring. It's a, a film based on true events, the lives of a group of, I think, five or six teenagers in, the, in Los Angeles who, thro- <laughs> who basically used Facebook and Twitter and so on to figure out when celebrities were going to be a- away from their homes, and then they raided the celebs' homes because they knew they were away. Okay? So Paris Hilton, um, that she'd put on Facebook, or she, she was away or uh, you know, the opening of a nightclub or something, and she'd put on Facebook, you know, so excited about going out, blah, 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 tonight, going to be a late night or whatever. And so they'd read it on Facebook and be like, right, know where she lives, going to get in there, and so they raided her house, and, I, I, you know, did she keep a key under the doormat? I don't know. Um, but they got in there, and they um, st- stole, uh, like, $2 million of jewelry over six visits to her house, and, like, a string of other celebrities as well that they kind of, um, you know, a couple of others as well, and uh, six occasions, and it, it wasn't until after the sixth event that she realized, oh, some stuff's gone missing. <laughs> now... <laughs> Yeah, I know. So, you know, I don't know what kind of person you are about the kind of tidiness or protectiveness about your house, but I'll go into my living room and I'll be like, someone's borrowed a book. Karis, who did you lend that book to? Are they going to bring it back? You know, but $2 million of jewelry. And it took, and she, there's this interview of her where she says, well, you know, I have people who kind of tidy up the house, and so they make it look nice when I'm coming back from been abroad. And so, well, I guess I just didn't notice. Anyway, David noticed, right, you couldn't ignore what was going on. They came, uh, you know, you can kind of imagine the scene. They've been away, they've been missing their families, they've been missing their whatever home comforts they have, they've been, um, you know, their saddle sore or some of them would be walking, their foot sore, they've been away six, maybe seven days of of journeying at least, six days there, six days back, um, and whatever else in between. And they're kind of getting to the point, you know, they're coming over the hill, and mentally they're starting to switch off. I'm home, I'm going to have the, the Bible equivalent of a hot shower and a cup of tea. You know, that's what they were geared up for. And as they kind of came over the horizon in my mind's eye, I can imagine that there was, you know, they saw the smoke, and, and they the, began to say, oh, no, that, there must just be lots of cook fires, they're making a feast, and, um, you know, gradually the realisation dawned, something is not right at home as they got closer and closer they realized the awful truth that their families were gone the cattle the livestock the belongings their homes that they left behind was ruined you know what they they'd been there for a, a year and a half almost at this point and it was all gone I I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, uh, a a break into your home or or car or or something maybe. But it is, um, my my family, when I was younger, we had our car broken into on holiday, took all the suitcases, everything we had for our great holiday away was gone. (laughs) So we had to kind of work that one through. It is a horrible feeling. And that's, you know, that was just like some stuff in a car. That's not even scratching the surface of of where uh, David and his, his men were at that point in time. It was a real real difficult time for them. And as I, you know, you, sometimes we read the Bible and we can kind of get ourselves into the story and kind of think, well, what was, what was that like? What was that feeling like? So I was doing that as I was preparing and, and the thing that struck me out of all of this is just the totally different responses that we see from David and his men. Totally different. And for me, it's a question of the perspective that they looked at the situation from just transformed them into having totally different responses. And you can read, they had the exact same trauma. They had this, you know, the Bible's really clear, David's family were taken away as well. David's possessions were taken away as well. It's not like he was in an ivory tower going, don't worry lads, it'll be fine, and I'm just going to go and, you know, enjoy being at home in my home comfort. He had all the same difficulties and, and so on that they had, exactly the same situation, but a totally different response. See, The the first point I want to make is that the right perspective leads to the right kind of response. David's men are looking at the situation purely on the basis of what they can see in front of them. They're looking at events just on the basis of the physical facts. This is what I see, so this is how I respond. But, you know, David looks at at the situation with a perspective that says, God is real. God must be in this somewhere. What is God doing in this situation? He has never let me down so far. This is terrible, but there must be a solution in Him. You might know the story um, about the man running an, an electronics shop. He was running a, a, a big sort of electronics retailer on the high street. And he came into work one morning to discover that his main competitor had opened a shop next door to him and had put a big banner over the top saying, best quality products. Well, that's a bit of a challenge, he thought, but okay, right, so he carries on the day's trading, comes in the next morning and finds out that another competitor has opened up, you know, his main competitor here, his next biggest competitor on the other side has opened up with a a banner that reads, lowest prices guaranteed. So, oh, okay, so he has another day of business and he, you know, what kind of perspective do you bring to bear on those kind of challenges? Well, He decides to have his own sign made up. And so on one side of the shop, you've got best quality products. On the other side, you've got lowest prices guaranteed. And the guy says, well, my perspective, find a solution to this. So he puts over the roof of his shop, main entrance. (laughs) You know, if you get the right perspective on a situation, you can really turn it around. And David had the... Some of you you are still getting that. Okay, I'll... uh, uh, you know when David looks up and looks to God for help that, that just gives him the right response in the situation the men, his men just forgot that God even existed, it was like they'd just forgotten the history they'd been through, they'd forgotten all of the events of David's life, all the time that God had helped him in battle before but not David he remembered and his right perspective caused him to have the right response Second point I want to make is that the right perspective creates a turnaround in the toughest situation. So when, I, when we read this through, we can see it's like David's perspective the, is like a turning point in, in, in the whole of the situation, the whole of the episode. Um, it's a turning point for what happens next. See, so Until that point, it's pretty much been doom and gloom, really. So you, know, you, you read it through and... It's, it's a terrible situation and the Bible describes they've, they've done this to the place and it's terrible and the men felt terrible and David felt terrible and the situation was terrible and they were going to do terrible things to David. It's just terrible. You know, that's like it's all terrible. And then I, reading it through, I'd say the first positive thing happens here and the Bible says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It starts with that word, but. And there is real power in saying the word but, in living the word but. David lived the word but. I, put, I don't know if you've heard it said um, before, the, the word but is like a delete key on the keyboard of a computer. It can remove everything that's gone before and, and, and finish the sentence in a totally different direction, finish the events in a totally different situation. So, you know, put it like this, right? Um, someone's telling you the story about the match. I don't know much about football, but I can figure this one out. Um, Newcastle were 1-0 down until the 89th minute but in the 90th minute they they equalized and then scored again in extra time you see what power there is in the word but it's all going one direction it's a catastrophe for Newcastle again (laughs) but oh (laughs) touched the nerve Karis told me it was a good result on Wednesday I do actually know that so there you go um but, it was all going downhill, but the situation changes after the word but. And into this incredibly hard situation that David's in comes the word but. But David responded differently. And one of the best lessons that, the, that Clive's ever taught in his cell meetings um, was one where he taught us how to use the word but in a really practical way, to speak out the word but, to look at a situation recognize the reality of the situation but not accept that that is the end of the situation and uh, we, we did some really practical examples a- about it so you know, we might find ourselves the rea- reality of the situation might be we can say hey my finances are tight this month but God can supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus Now that's how we speak, that's how da- David lived that, I don't know what he said exactly but I know how he lived He looked at the situation, and he said, in his heart, I believe he said, a big but. You know, his men were blaming someone. You know, so one approach is, my finances are tight this month, and I blame my boss, he should be paying me more. I blame the government, they should be giving me tax breaks. I blame the petrol stations for upping their prices, or whatever it is. You know, that's how David's men responded. They had the situation. The situation was real. It was a real situation, but their response was blame. I need someone to blame. David's response was, but, but I am looking to God for a breakthrough. He can take care of me. He feeds the birds of the air. He clothes the lilies in the fields. He can certainly take care of me. That's the kind of but that David spoke out in his heart, I believe. You know, we can find ourselves in all kinds of situations like that. We might feel, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm saying, my job's a grind and my career's a dead end. But God has a purpose for me that is more than just going to work. I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared in advance for me to do. I have a purpose in him. I don't like the way I look, someone might say. I don't like the way I look. But God made me in his image. But God says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, if God had an iPhone, I'd be the picture on his home screen. (laughs) Do you you guys know what a granny boaster is? You come across this, my mum's got a granny boaster. She didn't call it that, that's what one of her friends called it. She's got a um, like a plastic wallet she keeps in her purse or her handbag with all the photos. She's got six six grandchildren, number seven, on the way. And so the granny boaster just keeps getting fatter. And one of she's out with the girls for lunch and someone said, Oh, let's, you know, how the kids low, And my mum's like, Okay, well, I'll get one of these out. She's like, Oh, you've got a granny boaster. My mum's like, What's a granny boaster? She said, Oh, it's, what grand- grandmothers get when they you know, keep the photos of their grandchildren then at the drop of a hat, they'll be like, oh, well, I just happen to have some photos here. It's a granny boaster, apparently. You know, God has a granny boaster with us in it, and he is just wild to show off our photos to anyone who will listen. Isn't that amazing? You know, we might say, oh, I always lose my temper. It gets me into trouble. But God is growing the fruit of the Spirit in me, and that includes... Patience, gentleness, and self-control. You know, we might feel like the situation is going one way, but we can learn to speak a different word over that situation. We can learn to say, but God is doing something different in this situation. And I believe that's how David lived his life. The third and last thing I want to say is that the right perspective sees God in charge of the situation. You know, I guess... When you read it, there's a number of ways that David could have tried to strengthen himself or encourage himself in that situation. You know, you, he he might have he might have looked at it from the perspective of Ziklag's burned; it's all terrible, but I'm David and I'm strong and I've done this kind of thing before. I'm going to go and get those guys. You know, he could have done that. And actually, on the face of it, that wouldn't have been a you know that wouldn't have been a dumb approach because he was a good fighter. He did have this band of kind of Bandits with him, and warriors, and outlaws, and so on—they were—they were were rough guys. You know, he could have just gone, "But I'm going to do this." But revenge is best served cold, so I'm going after them. You know, he could have strengthened himself in any number of ways. He could have strengthened himself on anger, or a desire for revenge, or you know, what he'd done before, or how many men he had. He could have looked at any number of things to strengthen himself, but he didn't. Actually, he said, "But he strengthened himself in the Lord his God." And that 's just a remarkable perspective because you know instead of looking just at what he could see on the on the natural physical level around him, he looked up and he said, "But I can see God is in charge of this situation." We, um, m- many of you guys will know that we 've been starting a school recently we 're doing a, a pilot school in the, the rooms over there, which is really, really exciting, and I think sometimes the, there's four of us who are in the well, I don't know what we call the management team or something, or the kind of coordinating the thing. And uh, I think sometimes the guys that we, we meet together, they get a bit frustrated with me because I do this a lot. We're just looking at it down here. We need to look at it up here. And they're like, Ben, why are you waving your hands? And so I'll try and explain. Um, if you've ever seen something like, like 24 or Spooks, where, you know, sometimes you're, you're watching the screen and there's like a heist going on. Or, or something, you know, like some kind of action, adventure, drama going on on one side, and then they do that clever split screen thing, where like all of that drama gets squashed onto the bottom of the screen, and then above, on the top half of the screen, you see, you know, back in the control van, or or or, or, uh, or in the control room at head office, or something else, and you've got like all this activity going on down at the bottom, but actually then the screen splits and you can see, well, behind the scenes, actually there's this going on somewhere else, and it's making a big difference. It's kind of like that. That's almost the the way that I think about, about the world and the situations we're in. I think, I'm not sure if David would have described it quite in terms of split screens, but um, but I think there was something similar going on, that instead of just looking at all this activity down here on the bottom half of the screen, David was just so conscious that behind the scenes, God was at work. There was a bigger picture and sense of what was going on. And I feel like one of the, the best things that's been coming out of setting up the school, we it's been... Great for our children, you know, we're just really excited about that. But we also feel like, personally, it's really developed us and stretched us and, and challenged us. It's challenged me, you know, really personally to, to think like this more and more often. We had a, a, a meeting the other day, maybe a week and a half ago, and we were kind of in a bit of a dilemma about some stuff, and we were saying, oh, should we do this? And uh, you, know, you know when you have a, a problem that you can't quite resolve, and you just feel frustrated and under pressure about it? And when there's four of you in the room together and you all feel a little bit frustrated and a little bit under pressure about it, it's not like maybe the most productive atmosphere. And I think it was Steve on this occasion. We were just kind of wrestling with it a little bit. And Steve said, well, what do you think the Lord's trying to do in this? And there was like a moment kind of quiet in the room where the other three of us were like, oh, yeah, should have thought of that sooner. (laughs) And, uh, And so we said, actually, yeah, that's a really good point. And so we just talked about, well, what is God doing in this? What's God saying through this set of circumstances? What is God speaking to us about this? You know, we went from a situation where we felt we need to fix this, and we can't fix this, so we're frustrated. We went from that to saying, God's going to fix it. God, kn- God knows about this situation. Maybe God doesn't think it's broken. Maybe God's doing something we haven't realized. He's in charge. And so we kind of paused the meeting, and we just prayed. Like, a couple of us prayed, and, you know, just transformed the atmosphere in, in the room for us it transformed how I felt about it I, you know, I, I hope God doesn't have to teach me that lesson again, I hope that's baked in me, I hope I've learnt my lesson you know, to, to, to think like that, to act like that, to view situations like that but we went from this atmosphere where maybe I'm speaking myself but we were probably a little bit frustrated amongst us through to sort of, actually hey we're at peace, God's got a, a resolution for this, God's got a solution for this situation and you know, we really feel, actually, that, that's the heritage and the culture and the atmosphere we want to see in our school. That's the atmosphere we want to see in our children brought up in. And so it was really exciting just to be part of a situation where, where we, we acted differently. And we believe that would be a good thing for our, our children and their school situation as well. So let me summarise. The right perspective leads to the right kind of response. The right perspective creates a turnaround in the toughest situation and the right perspective sees that God is in charge of the situation.